Welcome to Manager Tools. Today's topic, Annual Goal Setting, Part 2 of 3. Hi everyone, this is Mike and welcome back. Today Mark and I continue our conversation on annual goal setting. Last week we covered our general views on goal setting, in particular on our thinly veiled disdain for SMART goals. Focus on the measurable and time-bound nature of goals and in our opinion, you'll be there. Today we go on to discuss our core rules or guidelines for setting goals. So, here we go. Okay, look, how to create effective annual goals. Rule number one, we, we talked about this in bottom line up front, right in the beginning of the cast, use MT, measurable and time-based goals. Um, to be clear here, we recommend that you ignore all guidance relative to SMART, at least the S and the A and the R, and focus only on the measurement and the deadline. That's it. The secret, of course, is that no one, I alluded to this just a minute ago, no one is going to accuse an MT goal of not only not being smart, because they are, people are going to see that and go, wow, that is cool. That's good. I get it. Um, they will also be impressed by the simplicity of your work. And the more you add the S and the A and the R, the more words you got and the more tangle it is and the easier it is to hide the lack of the M and the T and, and professionals don't want to hide the M and the T. Yeah. Can, can we expand a little bit on the M and T? Yeah. Um, well, let me just start with the T time-based because it's easier. Um, in fact, <laughs> it's not just easier. It's trivially simpler. <laughs> um, every goal has a deadline that is a specific date within the coming calendar year. The easiest way for a savvy boss to see a time-based goal is to look for the word by, B-Y, quote-unquote, in the goal. Uh, and, and now look, it, it, so in other words, it would be by blank, right? Okay. I, there are people out there going, no, 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 Mark, I don't actually need to do that. If you leave it off, what I'm saying is the implied goal is December 31st. Well, okay. <laughs> I'm sorry, but that's not really what most managers mean by leaving the goal off. What most managers secretly mean by leaving the goal, the deadline off, is that they want full credit for getting most of the way there during the year. So that they don't get there, they'll be judged on progress as opposed to success. And success is simple. Did you achieve the measurable number by the deadline? If you did not, you failed. Um, and everyone knows that maybe one goal out of a hundred actually is inspiring enough, even to its own author, quite frankly, to get everybody to come in the last week of the year 
And when this cast is coming out, that'll be in the near, near term future, surely, um, to make sure you get there. So if you leave off the goal, what you're saying is if you leave off the deadline, I'm sorry, if you leave off that deadline and your, your suggestion that implies December 31st, I better see you in the office every day from December 26th to December 31st working feverishly because you knew that goal along was December 31st. The fact is we don't see that. And the reason we don't see that is because managers don't really mean what they say they mean, which is I meant December 31st. What you want is to be let off the hook because there wasn't a specific deadline attached to it. Yeah. We'll talk more about when, when we recommend the deadline here shortly, but the short answer is an empty goal, a good goal has a deadline and that reads as by blank date, fill in right. in the goal itself. No, right. no implied dates, right. actual written dates on every goal. And I'll add not Q3. That's not a date. Yeah. Q3 is not a date, is no. it? No, a date is a number between zero and 32 with one of the 12 months of the year next to it. That's a date. (laughs) I I totally wish I'd said that. A date is a number between zero and 32 with one of the 12 months of the year next to it. Partner, that is sweet. And there's more. What about measurable? Okay. Boy, that's good. (laughs) Zero and 32 with a month. I love that. Okay, first... When we talk about measurable, I have to say that in our epilogue, the story that we're going to share about John and the gate guards, we're going to address measurable pretty neatly with a story about this great manager that I know. Um, Until then, though, let's start with this. Measurements are so important to goals that we must be willing to create new ones if we don't already have them. But let's go back a step here for everyone. Let's not get everyone running off creating goals if they don't have to. Okay. Um, but wait, you, you and I both know that next year, if we start asking them about measurable, people start doing empty goals, they will be doing that very thing. They will go out and find specific, they will create goals. They will create deadlines and measures, um, measures really being the key part. They will create measures to, to, to get to the goals that based on our, our approach, right? Yeah, I don't I don't dispute that. I just think that we have to start by saying that the best place to start thinking about goals is where the organization already has measures in place. Oh, you're so right. Yes. Okay. Greatest management principle in the world, right? Exactly. The things that get measured are the things that get done. Companies measure the stuff they care about. I mean, we yes. know that, right? Already today, your company you're listening is measuring something. They're measuring the stuff that they care about. We like we measure financial matters because they matter, obviously. You know, it's interesting about you say you pick financials first. You know, they're not just that there are laws about it, but that's the scorecard, right? I mean, that's what everybody reports. That's the, the thing that everybody sees. Of course you have. I mean, there are people who don't want to go into finance because they don't understand it because there are so many measures, right? In most of the world, that's why the company exists in the first place. Yeah, exactly. Okay, yeah, so, we, okay so we measure financial stuff because they matter, right? Yeah, okay. But, and then we start measuring those things that most closely influence those financial matters. And then those things that influence those things and so on and so on. So the bottom line really is if you're wondering what to set goals on, start with those areas that are already measured and achieve a higher standard than what has previously been set or achieved. Simple. Yeah, you know what? What you just said is the first rule of setting MT goals. Choose goals in those processes and systems for which there are already measures because it's very likely that those areas, by the definition of the fact that they have measures, were, uh, uh, are more important generally than those areas where there are not measures. 
basically, I think what we're do, what we're saying here, partner, is I would have had everyone off setting up new metrics so they could plan a goal against one of those metrics, all the while spending energy away from where they might best need their energy to be. So brilliant. All right. Thank you, sir. Okay. Okay. So now I want to go back to something I just said. Metrics or measures are just the criteria that we use. Goals, and this is maybe vocabulary a little bit here, but goals are the actual number we're going to achieve of that metric. Let's not confuse the words by saying we met our metric. That's like saying we met our inch. <laughs> doesn't really sound very good. No, metric no. is what we're measuring or how we measure, and the goal is how high or how low we have to go to say we succeeded. So we know to start with those things the organization already has metrics for, per your brilliant point, first rule of MT goals. Then we ask ourselves what we believe are the most effective things we can do to achieve our mission which, as we say, is likely to be those things we already have metrics for. Once we decide what those areas are, we either set a standing, we either set a standard against an existing goal or we create a new metric. Okay. So let's talk about our guidance for setting goals in general for a minute. Okay. We, we actually have six recommendations. This is, a, this is going to be a long cast, I think. I um, so. yeah. It's not that we're not having fun, though. That's for sure. Um, I had a soapbox for a few minutes. Six recommendations about goal setting in general um, relative to MT goals. Uh, and then we have we even have more broad recommendations here in just a minute as well. So our six MT recommendations are the best metrics are numbers. Zero is a number. Number three, consider proxies to get to a number. Number four, consider surveys, although there's a caveat with that one. Number five is, please, reduce costs. <laughs> mm. And number six, avoid improving things. Which you talked about for a little bit. Okay. Let's talk about them one at a time. Okay. So the first one, the best metrics are numbers. What we mean here is that even if you're measuring something very soft, like customer satisfaction or corporate reputation or service experience, right? How, how does the customer describe the experience? Um, you're going to want to have a number to describe your goal. It could be as simple as counting the number of positive emails you've gotten uh, on one trivial level. Uh, it could be the number of surveys that come, written surveys that come back to you with a perfect score. It could be the number of surveys that say that you're likely or very likely to recommend somebody. It could be the number of people who say that they got, I mean, it's actually a number, the number of people who say they were referred to your company by somebody else. And you have to, way of, have to have a way of capturing that number. All of those things are numbers that are designed to represent something that, quite frankly, is impossible to measure, which is how do our customers, in this case, with the example we're using, feel about us? Is it fair to say we want our customers to feel great about us? Yes. A great example of a number, which also relates to our concept about proxies, which we'll talk about in just a minute, is um, the ultimate question, Reichelt's book that you and I both like, which talks about um, uh, 
your net promoter score, which basically says on a scale of one to 10, how likely are you? And I may get this wrong because I don't have the data right in front of me, but how likely do you recommend uh, this company or this work to someone else? And basically you take the number of tens and nines and you subtract the numbers of sixes and below. And that gives you a number from negative 100 to positive 100. And that gives you a score. It's not to suggest that the score is what customers think about you. It is a number. It is a representation of something. But what we find is metrics that are respected, metrics that are paid attention to, are ones that have numbers. And, and I'll tell you a little trick that I use when it comes to numbers um, uh, or when it comes to metrics. If you know immediately you could put it into a graph and you could chart where it is now and where it has been and where it's going, you know you have a number. How people feel is something really hard to put into a graph. I'm sure there's somebody trying to do it, uh, but I think it's pretty hard. Um, okay, so um, the key here is to recognize that you're going to have to show performance probably over time. And your boss is going to want something that is understandable to him or to her. Everybody understands numbers as as a part of the process of measures and metrics. And everyone understands when you say, I'm at 80, but I need to get to 83. The fact that one of your competitors calls what you're at 80, they call it 87, is irrelevant. The only question is where you are now, where you were, and where you're going to be. Saying, we're getting there or I'm feeling good about this, is not sufficient. You need a number. And, and now, zero is a good number. Yeah, zero is a very good number. Yeah. What we mean by zero is a number is that if you're trying to reduce something, please don't use the word reduce, first of all. Um, driving it to zero is the ultimate form of reduction, Right? It's not reduction ad absurdio. It's, it, it's actually a good thing. Uh, driving it to zero is often a good goal. Didn't, I mean, you, in fact, that was one of your goals when you were running OSIS, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, it, people thought you were crazy to take it from 650 plus down to zero. And the fact is, the, the, the point of you setting it zero was what caused people to get down to seven. If you'd set it right. at 200 or 300, they'd probably gotten close to 200 or 300. They would never have gotten down to seven in terms of eliminating um, uh, trouble tickets on a, on enormously complex, terribly Byzantine, um, system. Yeah. Well, we failed though. We only got it to seven. So yeah, we failed. We got but, it to but, seven. You know, but you know, how, how exciting is it to talk about getting down to, if you're talking in this case, trouble tickets, I mean, how exciting is it to say we're gonna go from 100, 657 down to 200? Well, there's no emotional content yeah, there. Yeah. You know? Zero sounds zero, zero increases the pucker factor, doesn't it? No. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> <"Hua."> <laughs> Yeah. And there are people who say, don't ever set a goal of 100 because you can never get there because there's always a chance. No, no, no. The good people say, I want the ball late in the game. The good people say, no, set it at zero, man. When I get down from 10 to 1, I'm really going to push doubly hard to get from 1 to 0. I want five minutes at zero just so I can say I did it to the next guy who takes over my job after me. Yeah. Um, yeah. If you're thinking about reducing something, consider, even if just for a moment – the concept of setting the reduction target or the goal at zero. Maybe it's not smart cost-benefit wise, and we respect that, but it may just be doable with some outside-the-box thinking. I happen to really like the word eliminate. It's such a clear and powerful word, eliminate Rand dollars. 
eliminate waste due to uh, production overage, eliminate waste due to shipping uh, uh, mistakes. Um, there's no ambiguity about it, uh, unlike perhaps some other words we're going to talk about today. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So let's let's talk about proxies. What what is there to consider about proxies, and, and why do we need them? Yeah. Um, too often, I find that managers just flail at what kind of goals they could come up with. They don't know how to measure something. They think that the thing that they do, whatever their organization does, provide customer service, provide engineering services, provide production development, product development, or marketing, or whatever. They think that what they do is too big or too diffuse or too soft or too hard to describe to measure. Or it's like the Supreme Court, Potter Stewart, on another topic, which is, I shall not attempt to describe what it is, but I know it when I see it. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. Look, managers, you're not the Supreme Court, the United States Supreme Court. You're not a justice. You don't have life tenure. Um, you've got to measure stuff to set goals around it. Using proxies just means measuring something else that you believe is an accurate representation without actually being the thing itself. You could measure the number of complaints to get a measure of quality. It's not that you care about complaints. It's that you believe less complaints means higher quality. And there are some places to say, we don't have the systems in place to measure quality, but you can certainly measure complaints, can't you? You could have a company 100 years ago that had no quality systems at all, didn't know anything about the very basics of quality, about designing it in, about getting it on the front end, about AQP and things like that. Um, they could still measure complaints and, and, and arguably could say lower complaints is a proxy for better quality. And if you have a large enough sample size, it is, in fact, a good proxy to measure by. It may not be perfect. It may not be measuring every dollar that you waste on low-quality products that you can't ship to a customer. That's an even better measure. But proxies may not be perfect. They're simply better than nothing at all, and we recommend managers consider them. Yeah, and, um, and don't and don't look, you know, let perfection be the enemy of good here. This is, this is the... I see this happening all the time, which is yes. says, well, it's not perfect. Therefore, I can't use it. Well, yeah. you know, no, you can use it. Yeah, you can. Yeah. In fact, um, we talk about this all the time about the difference between being right and being effective. Yeah, it's technically not a 100% accurate measure of what we do. Yeah, but it's better than nothing. Right. Let's put our toe in the water and see how it feels. Right. And refine yeah. it over time. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You, you could measure total new orders as a proxy for sales growth. Now, obviously, that may be a bad example because you're thinking, well, I could also measure sales growth. Yeah, you could, but in some places it's hard to do or it lags the market or whatever. Um, in fact, in the technology market, there's it's the technology markets and, and high high tech, high dollar equipment, there's something called book to bill ratio. They don't even tell you the sales numbers. They tell you the book to bill ratio, which is how many booked orders they had versus how many they billed. And if the book to bill is greater than one, that means they sold more orders for future delivery this month than they actually delivered this month, which means business is growing. Okay, um, so book to bill is a form of proxy to talk about future earnings versus present earnings. Um, you could measure new housing starts as a proxy for economic improvement. And, and by the way, they do. <laughs> um, in fact, all metrics, at least in the U.S., I'm sure overseas as well, all metrics talked about relative to our economies are only proxies for the economy. 
And you'll have two economists arguing two different proxies and suggesting two different things about the economy. And it's basically an argument about which proxy is a more accurate proxy. And by definition, it depends on the size of the sample and the size of the population and a bunch of other stuff as well. Um, so, um, so any, any metric relative to our economies are only proxies for the economy. Um, now housing starts is a measure of housing starts. Foreclosures are a measure of foreclosures and IPOs in the marketplace are a measure of initial public offerings, but they can also be used as proxies for the larger market in the same way that you could come up with a proxy like, and the example I'll use again is reduced customer complaints, number of customer complaints doesn't mean quality is going up, but it is an indicator and it's worthwhile if you have no measure to consider using a proxy. And, And then surveys are simply a form of proxies. Yeah, exactly. Um, nobody's job is to improve survey results, right? Um, companies don't say we're going to have really great survey results. They're going to say we're going to have great profitability. Surveys are a way to measure something that we don't have other numbers for. If you're in customer service, um, you may have to survey customers to come up with a number. You may have to survey an internal customer about their standards for you serving them if there's not an external competitor for the work that you do in your company. Now, look, surveys are generally well-received as measures about which you can set goals toward, but they're also a lot of work. And we don't recommend them first on anybody's list, but in some cases, there's something to consider. And what you don't want to do is go to your boss and say, I don't have any goals, when in fact, you could probably create a survey. And it may not be the best survey in the world, but it's something that will give you some proxy that will help you measure. And if all of a sudden the number your first year is 40 and you say, look, I'd like it to be 30 next year. If people believe in the proxy, they'll figure out a way to get it to 30. Yep. And how about reducing costs? Oh, who cares about reducing costs, right? <laughs> All that means is your margins go up, and who really cares about margins? Yeah, Companies aren't about margins. <laughs> no, they're about money. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Look, sorry. we're kind of cheating here, um, but it sure seems like a lot of managers. When I look at goal sheets, and I'm talking this time of year, I've got 500 of them near my desk, on my desk, on my way, on their way to me, or leaving the office. Um, a lot of managers miss cost reduction as a fabulous annual goal. They just miss it. It's just, well, we're going to do personal development. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. What about taking your budget and say, I'm going to cut 3% out of my budget while delivering the same results I did last year. That's real. I mean, you talk about And that's not a 3% improvement in margins. That's more than a 3% improvement in margins. We're joking a little bit using the word reducing. Um, it's not a great word. And we'll talk about that in just a minute. Um, although that's what most managers would probably talk about. I need to reduce my costs. No, you need to choose a goal and drive your costs below that goal. That's what you need to do. We recommend that every manager every year have a goal relative to costs. And of course, by definition, the cost would, the, the goal would be reduction. Yeah. I, I, I do that all the time. I had one that said, uh, I'm going to reduce my cost to uh, below what they would have been otherwise, which would have been an increase. So really. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. In a growth market, your goal is to grow costs more slowly than you grow revenue. And people say all the time, well, I look at the last 10 years and no, I'm sorry, that's wrong. Most managers don't look 10 years back. 
Um, they look back the past two years and they say, my costs keep going up. Okay. What have, what has been the rate of growth? Can we shut that down by a, thir- a third? Can we, we decrease growth from 3% to 2%? If everybody decreased cost growth from 3% across the board in the organization to 2%, wow, what a difference would that make? And, and it's, it's totally additive year over year. The next year you go for 2% versus 3%. I don't do the, I don't want to do the math, but somebody please email us and tell us what the difference is in terms of the, at the end of two years, achieving 2% cost growth rather than 3% cost growth. It's not, it's not trivial. It might mean a bonus for certain managers who were particularly good, creative and effective at setting good goals and then actually achieving them for cost reduction. Um, Maybe it's just to reduce the increase of salary costs below the increase levels of previous years. E- Again, as you said, even if costs go up, if yours go up less than others, that's a start. Now, for some managers, the bottom line here is to know your costs. And we recommend each manager have at least one goal that attacks one or more of your costs. If you can't go after all of them because for some reason you're not in control of salaries, choose of all the costs that you control the biggest contributor and attempt to either slow its growth or reduce it um, in, in real terms rather than just improve, increase them, reduction in the increase. Good. Okay, well, our, our next Don't miss point. it. It's, you've got to have, if you're going to be a professional manager, you've got to have reduction of costs against a goal. Don't get tied around the axle around reduction. You've got to have reduction of cost against a goal as one of your objectives, one of your goals. Agreed. Okay. Finally, and this is just going to drive people crazy because we actually recommend avoiding improving things with goals. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we hate improving things. And again, we're, we're just having a little vocabulary fun. We do want things to improve, but we hate that word. In fact, one of my, one of the words I hate the most in the English language is thing. Thing is just about the, the grossest, the largest, most vague word in the language. That thing over there. You know, any more specificity than thing helps the listener enormously. Well, the word we hate the most when it comes to goal is improve. Amazingly, and this is what's stunning to me, with all the smart goal discussions going on out there this time of the year, I'm assuming this cast is going to come out in December, that time frame. Um, um, this has got to be the single most used word in goals in the universe that I read. And again, maybe I'm in a parallel universe. Um, improvement is not a goal. Here are some more words that we see that are completely non-starters as they relate to goals. Words like boost, correct, develop, elevate. Oh, by the way, folks, these all came from goal objective sheets on my desk this week. Boost, correct, develop, elevate, enhance. I love that word, enhance. It sounds sexy. Um, Grow, (laughs) help, increase, revamp. Revamp? What is that? Revise. Um, yeah, I got rid of all the spelling errors. I technically revised it. Update, upgrade, etc., etc., etc. My favorite one about people is develop. I'm going to develop my people this year. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Great. Yeah, we've seen all these things for sure. But you, you can yes. fix these, right? I mean, there's 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 one way to to use these words and to be okay, which is simply just attach a number to it, right? Which is increase revenues 
to ten million dollars from nine point five million. Yeah. Okay. Right. But but okay. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I'll grant that. But really, what you should say is achieve revenue of ten million dollars. Right. 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 Yeah, the target is the key, not the difference. Yeah, and when you the, think goals, think targets. Yeah, and the different the, the the problem is that people use these words and they do not follow them by a number. Right. That's that's the problem we see yeah. a lot. Okay, so let's and, and why should they if their boss will allow them not to? Because if they increase a little bit, but they don't get to ten point ten point oh from nine point five, they're good. They technically increased. Yeah, but now uh, MT managers will be setting and only allowing MT goals. So we got that covered. Yes, there we go. 50,000 listeners going, hua, yeah. Okay, so l- let's move on to one of our favorite recommendations about goals. I, and I love this one, which is stay yeah. narrow. Yeah, this is my one of my favorites, too. Everybody that I know that's exceeded uh, performance standards, that's succeeded beyond the norm noticeably, and they're, I'm talking two or three standard deviations versus everybody else's careers, they totally embrace this recommendation. If you told me, Mark, what's the one hidden gem in this show? It is this one right here, folks. Stay narrow. Too many managers want to impress their boss with more goals, and it's totally counterproductive. Okay, you set nine goals or 12 goals or 13 goals, and you're totally motivated about impressing your boss in January and February. And then you end up spinning plates running around trying to move all of them forward every week, every month, and you get tired and you get, you know, and you, you, you straggle after ripe blackberries and suddenly you can't get it all done. All. I mean, all of the great strategists and tacticians and leaders and, and consultants and, and thinkers of the world all have as one of their core principles, something that sounds like Napoleon's mass at the point of decision or focus on key priorities, um, or Pareto sales distributions, which says 80% of your sales come from 20% of your customers. It's, it's weird. It's shockingly weird how true that is in so many cases. Or, or Drucker's famous admonition against three ring circuses. Folks, don't come up with 10 goals. Don't come up with three that you will fall on your sword for. Maybe you get those 10 things done. Maybe you do. Lucky you. Great. Take full credit for them. But commit your life and your career to the three big ones. And by the way, going back to Mike's earlier point, make sure those big ones are related to the big levers that make the most difference in your organization. Rather than trying to do everything, choose an area to focus on. If your boss is somebody who will let you slide on 10 goals, he or she is also a boss who will let you slide on three. Why spend your time running around when you can spend your time moving forward? Yeah, I mean, look at you're going to have curveballs thrown at you early on in the year. No, Pro- no, really? Yeah, probably. You mean no things way. are going to change during the year? Uh, yeah, and, and oh, and, I didn't know that. And probably in the first quarter, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Don't, don't have so many goals in so many areas that you end up having to throw them overboard and worry about how much your boss is going to actually use them at the end of the year. Stay narrow. Good. I okay. love. I, I agree that 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 is your and my favorite one out of this cast. It's not. It's not the soapbox. It's just the one that we know that CEOs and EVPs and SVPs all use. 
Okay, next is plan for Q4 completion. And we mean, when we say Q4 completion, we mean by Q4 completion. Yes, right? exactly. Yeah, and this is a simple cheat again, but it's a powerful one. I got to stop calling these things cheats, but I, I have sons who play video games. Um, this is a simple tool, but it's a powerful one. Too many rookie managers set goals without deadlines. We talked about this before, um, thinking that there's an implied deadline of December 31st. And, uh, you know, technically, I think I, I think grammatically they're right, um, but they miss the point that deadlines motivate behavior. But your reality and your boss's priorities, as you alluded to, have a way of intruding. And so for virtually all annual goals, save for those few that are really truly dependent on Q4 economic activity, uh, set the deadline, the time part of your MT goal, at the start of Q4. Okay? In other words, do your 12-month goal in nine months because if you can't get it done in the first nine months, the chances of you finishing it in the last quarter are very slim anyway. If you're going to get in trouble for failing to meet a goal, let it be just because you were late, not that you didn't get it done at all. If you're getting reviewed in January, you can say all you want that you'll be done in February because you didn't get done by December 31st, but no boss is going to believe you for that. I'm sorry. It's just an untenable position because they're going to expect you to set new goals for next year anyway, which are going to be more important because your salary's already been decided on last year's performance. Yeah, but if you miss September but make the goal by October 20th, no boss is going to punish you either. Exactly right. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And to sit, sit with other managers, your peers, and to say, actually, all my goals have to be done by September 30th or October 1st or even October 2nd or October 3rd. They're going to go, what? Are you crazy? Hey, look, man, I want a buffer. I want, I want to be able to fail and then be motivated to have my boss ask me, ask me every week about it. So I get done in November. So at the end of the year, when it's December, I can say, yeah, I achieved every one of the goals that I set. Yeah. So the, so, yep. so the video game cheat here is to give yourself some wiggle room. Mm -hmm. So this, I think, guidance leads us to our next recommendation, which is backwards planning. Yeah. You and I love this one, too. This is one the military is famous for that it's too bad the military gets a bad rap so often for managerial techniques because a lot of the professionalism and managerial behaviors today come from military stuff. Um, um, and, and, and quite frankly, we could be wrong here, and everyone might be doing this, but frankly, I doubt it. I think Google and the Internet have become the death of planning and and uh, developing a plan and then having tasks and having dependencies and those kinds of things, except for project managers who make it an arch to the point of, my gosh, there are 75,000 tasks in this project. I'm sorry, that's too many. <laughs> um, look, when you throw down a goal, it has a deadline and it has an end state. Usually, annual goals have many, many, many steps that get you from today to there. Backwards planning means laying out what needs to get done in reverse order. That is to say, what are the last things you would do right before you would call the goal done? And then what would you have to have done right before those things? And then what would you have to have done right before those things? And actually, the way I think about backward planning is a fishbone diagram 
only it kind of looks like an upside down tree. It looks like you've taken a tree, you've ripped it out of the ground and you've turned it over upside down. So your hand is holding it and you're on top of it. And the tree branches are all sort of branching out and, and down. Uh, the base of the trunk is at the top. Uh, and that's the empty goal that you've set. And each branch with all of its sub branches is an area that support the goal. And, and basically you're the, the series of things that have to happen in the day, two days, three days, five days, seven days, 12 days, 15 days before the goal, they move from the top to the bottom of the document. And, and as there are dependencies, the, 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 the tree becomes more and more broad and has more and more branches. Um, and basically, each branch with all of its sub-branches is an area that supports the goal. And basically, what, what we see really, really effective managers and executives do is they come up with a goal and they say, okay, let's backward plan. What we need to do to get that? What are the, what are the criteria that have to be met in order for us to get to that? And then in order to get to that, what we need to do to get to that and then that and, and so on and so forth backwards. And, and the best way to get a list of all those tasks to essentially build that tree or that fishbone diagram is to sit down and brainstorm with your directs. I mean, okay, second best is to brainstorm with yourself, but frankly, with your directs, you're going to get a whole nother level that's just going to really impress you because they're going to be ones doing some of the work. Um, just you, and then once you do that, use your best judgment, assign some due dates, and that becomes a framework so that you can begin to assess the health of a project during the entire year rather than just continuing to put things off until the end of the year and then wondering why things didn't get done. Look, you're going to be wrong on some of this stuff in terms of backwards planning because you're going to get thrown curveballs in the beginning of the year, as you said. Um, but being wrong on any one task deadline isn't going to ruin your overall goal if you understand the dependencies and so on. Yeah, And the that. mistake that most managers make, Mike, I just want to say this very briefly, and I think most managers will, will feel this, is that they, they have a goal. The goal connects is essentially almost a bridge too far, some three to six, nine, 12 months in the future. And then they have an idea of what the first three or four steps are. But never having done any backward planning, they don't have any clue about a couple of big chasms that exist. They're just going from task to task to task. And I don't have any problem with, with knocking out tasks. The problem is if you're knocking out tasks and you haven't thought even for a minute about what the big chasm or second chasm or third chasm are out there, you're going to be in real trouble. Backwards planning gives you some really good insight about what tasks will get you where and how quickly and what the problems will be. Yeah. You don't do that. The problem is you get to the, you get to the fourth quarter and go like, Oh crap. Yeah. I, I got, I got two quarters worth of work to do before I get to the end. Okay. That whole thing there brings us very neatly to our last recommendation, which is front-loading tasks. Yeah. And that's really simple. Don't, folks, don't try to make things equal throughout your year. Other than things that have quarterly tethers, like quarterly sales numbers, for instance, you can't do your quarterly sales numbers by January 15th. Okay. Try to get everything done by the start of Q4, as we've said. It gives you the room for curveballs. And, and generally what you want to do is you do your backward planning, add to it and say, okay, what are the stuff I need to do? Can I accelerate in January in order to make sure that I find out where I'm going to really stumble and I have to add some extra time in because it's going to take longer than I thought? Okay. Um, be smart about it. As Mike said, you're going to get thrown curveballs. Your entire professional history tells you this, but somehow we avoid it. 
use Q1 and Q2 to be a little maniacal about things and to rush a little bit and to gather data and to maybe fail a few times in achieving some pretty assertive or aggressive objectives along the way toward your goal so you're gathering more data and you have time to adjust as you go through the rest of the year. Good. Wow. Did we get through it? That's a pretty long cast. We're not done. <laughs> oh no! Oh yeah, we already we have the we have our epilogue, our first ever. That's right. Well, that one for this week's show. Next week we'll conclude with the best-selling story of John and the Gate Guard, an exclusive manager tools only story guaranteed not to be told on any other podcast. You won't want to miss it. You know, when I when I write that stuff, it doesn't sound quite as bad as when I read it so sorry all right folks we'll see you next week so long